Well, good morning. I bring you greetings from the family of churches I work with called Metrolina Baptist Association. I know you're not in that family, but that's okay. Okay, so we're just glad to be able to join together and worship and be part of the family of God here where he's planted us. And uh, it's exciting to see how he continues to work. As uh, Pastor Darren mentioned, um, just from our history, we have plenty of stories that could be told, but we'll not tell them now. Okay, if you'd like to talk later, we can talk later. But, uh, but it is good to be with us with you today. <clears throat> and I have to give you fair warning. It's my, my um, hope that if I ask a question or say something worth hearing, someone might say something like, mm-hmm, or amen, or yes, brother, or help him Jesus, whatever. But um, if you don't say something, I might have to come down there. Okay, so, so I'm just kidding. I'm sorry. I've been here before, but it's been a while, and I do have a weird sense of humor. But it's good to be with you, and glad that we can celebrate all that God is doing in these days. Last year, our association gave me the gift of a sabbatical, to get away after, actually it was two years ago, it was 15 years, just had my 17th anniversary with them. But um, a wonderful time away. But one of the things I did during that sabbatical was study through, read through, uh, walk through Paul's letter to the Romans. And it was a, a wonderful time of study, a wonderful time of, of uh, eye-opening truth. And I did settle on what I do believe is one of my, it's one of my top, I say top five, chapters in the scriptures, and that's Romans 8, which is where our text is coming from today. Uh, if you have a Bible, I encourage you to find, we're not going to read quite yet, but uh, encourage you to find Romans 8, 18 to 30, which is where we'll be studying today. One of the interesting pieces to this, this part of God's Word is that there are no imperatives or commands in this chapter. Paul doesn't, um, doesn't unload on the Romans, okay, you've got to do this and this and this. He's basically encouraging them in this chapter about the glorious privileges that believers enjoy through our union with Jesus. Uh, so these words are really magnificent. This whole chapter is magnifying the work of the Holy Spirit in us and how we need to respond to him with, with faith and hope. So the title of our message today, if you're looking for a title, is Future Glory, Present Hope. Future Glory, Present, sorry, Help. Present help, the other H word. The big idea, if you're looking for a big idea from the text, it goes like this. God's children are people of hope. We've grown in this fallen world, but we have a glorious future ahead of us and divine help for our present trials. The first thing we'll see today and talk about today is the future glory we're talking about. Uh, and that Paul's talking about here in Romans 8. Uh, many saints in the past have modeled for us good ways to look to the future, good ways to live out this hope that God's given us, and have shown us the value of pondering the glory to come. Now, when I say that, I'm of a certain age now. Um, as a friend of mine likes to say, um, uh, I moved up to the sixth floor two years ago. Okay, now, That's just another way of saying 62. Okay, So if you're on the sixth floor, welcome. Glad to have you with me. If you're, if you're not quite to that floor yet, that's fine. That's good. But the higher I go on these floors, um, the more I'm really sensing the need to remember who God is, what he's promised, and how important that future glory 
I'm looking to and we're looking to how important it really, really is. One of those saints that taught us that in times past was Richard Baxter, um, now well-known pastor from England. A disciple really is a whole village over his entire ministry, pastored one church there. He wrote 140 books, now, some were booklets, but still, 140 published books, including the book that, that seminaries use still today, Reformed Pastor, written in, in that year 1656. I assume none of you were there then, but still a good book and still a great resource. Baxter, however, dealt with lifelong illness and struggles in living, physical suffering once near death. His secret, though, he said, his secret was, as he dealt with that suffering, was he was determined to spend 30 minutes every day, 30 minutes, 30 minutes a day, thinking about future glory. And he usually did that on a walk he took before supper every day. So for 30 minutes before dinner, before the day wrapped up for him, he focused on heaven and all God has in store for us as we trust and follow him through this life. And he ended up living to the, to the age of 76. Truth be known, he was so heavenly minded that he did great earthly good. And there's an old saying I used to preach when I was down on the, on the third floor, okay, that said, don't be so heavenly minded that you're not of any earthly good. But I'm starting to think you can't really do that if you're being a conscientious Christian. We have to be heavenly minded if we want to be able to do the kind of good God would have us do here where he's planted us. So as we gather today, I really believe that God wants us to remember the promises he's made of the world to come, the life to come, so that we can be more faithful, more productive, more joyful. So join me as we focus together on the future glory and present help the Lord is freely providing for us in Jesus' name and by the power of the Holy Spirit. So first point we're looking at today is there is hope for waiting saints. There's hope for waiting saints. Here are these verses. We're going to read verses 18 to 25 of our text at this point. So hear what God's Word says to us in these verses about that hope God has for us. It goes like this. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is going to be revealed to us. For the creation eagerly waits with anticipation for God's sons to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in the hope that the creation itself will also be set free from the bondage to decay into the glorious freedom of God's children. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together with labor pains until now. Not only that, but we ourselves who have the Spirit as the first fruits, we also groan within ourselves, <coughs> excuse me, eagerly waiting for adoption, the redemption of our bodies. Now in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is not hope, because who hopes for what he sees? Now, if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with patience. Lord, speak to us through your word today. Help us to hear clearly what you, Holy Spirit, are speaking to your church. For such a time as this, as we look to the future you've made for us, in Jesus' name. Amen. Glory is coming. You mark it down. 
as verse 18 says, yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory he will reveal to us later. Let those words sink in for a moment. I mean, after all we've been through in the last few years, especially, not to mention the rest of the mess we wrestle with day by day. In this time, God wants to remind us of the glory that's on the way for us. We have a supernatural hope that's more than strong enough to safely carry us through every trial and trouble we have to face here on earth to deliver us into glory one sweet day. Nothing we face in the challenges of life here is worth even comparing, our text says, to the glorious experience of life we will know. We will know one sweet day. There's a warning here that's in verse 18 we need to make sure we catch. If we allow the difficulties of this life to absorb all our attention, they will effectively blot out the glory that awaits us. It'll be a, a dark curtain hanging between us and that bright light we're trusting God to provide us in the days to come. Our focus here needs to be about things above, as Colossians 3 talks about. Spiritual concerns of eternal significance. When he was studying Romans 8, Martin Luther lamented the time we waste thinking about the creation as it is now, rather than looking forward to what it's going to become in that future glory. He quotes Seneca's observation that we fail to know what is necessary because we study unnecessary things. Just yesterday, my wife Carla and I were, were going up to Cleveland County for a visit, and she had her phone out, those smartphones that make us not so smart, and she started reading off some news stories that were coming out. And what about the third story? I said, that's enough. I don't need to hear any more of that gloom and doom right now. We're going to spend a day with the grandkids. Give me a break, I mean, you know? So that was going to be great. But if we focus 24-7 on that, on that constant news cycle, now we need to pay attention. Don't misunderstand me. We need to know what's going on so that we can pray and live as we need to. However, we don't need to focus on it so much we miss the view of what God has for us ahead. Especially today. How he can bless us today looking to that glorious future he has in days to come. We as Christians are people of hope. That's the good four-letter H word, hope. We see hope when others see death. We see hope when others see no hope. We see hope when the world despairs. We see hope because we believe that Jesus is the head of every church, bringing supernatural potential to every fellowship of Christians, strength for today, as we sang a while ago, and bright hope for tomorrow. So today, today, let's cherish hope. Let's thank God for hope, and let's pray in hope as we look to the future. Our future hope is not based on what can happen in the church in the next five years. That's not where our hope is. Or what, it's instead based on what God's promised for us in heaven. It's a glorious hope. It's our hope of glory, gives us strength for the journey ahead. As the hymn said that we just sang a few minutes ago, ponder anew what the Almighty can do. As we like to say, it'll blow your minds. It's wonderful. So look to that hope. I had my eyes opened again to the, uh, <coughs> the power of this 
truth not long ago. I was at a meeting with some missionaries from China. Uh, actually, brought, we brought them online, brought online a national pastor to talk to us about what's going on there in his, his city. Serving in that nation. He was actually in South, South Korea when he got online, which was better for communication's sake. And one of the questions that was asked of him, how can we pray for you there in China as you serve and face the persecution that you're describing to us. And he had told us some things that happened to he and his church members. His response was inspired by Romans 8. And it's a, a walk with God that sees reality and has hope. This is what he said. He said, we don't think about persecution here. So don't pray for that, about that for us. Instead, we think about the hope that we have in Jesus. And the joy we look forward to with him. Pray that we'll live that way no matter what. And all I could say to that was just, wow. Thank you, Lord, for that kind of life perspective. They don't think about persecution. Even though it's coming to them, they don't think about it. We don't plan our futures with persecution in mind. Yes, we're aware of it, but we don't focus on it. We focus on the hope of glory God has to give us for the strength we need in the journey ahead. So in spite of what I've thought and said in the past, we do need to be so heavenly minded that we can be of true earthly good. Glory is coming. Watch for it. Thank God for it. Let that hope give you strength for the day until our faith becomes sight. Glory will be known in us, to us, and for us. So hope on purpose and trust God through the days to come. Next thing we see in the text in verses 19 to 22 is that creation will be set free. Paul describes here in those verses the creation getting ready for future glory itself. Focus on those verses for a moment, if you would. I mean, Philip's paraphrase of one of those is the whole creation is on tiptoe to see the wonderful sight of the sons of God coming into their own. Yes, we're ordinary now. On the surface, we're just normal, weak clay pots. But at the same time, there's something spectacular about a Christian that will be revealed one day. In the end, God will lift the veil and reveal His children, and all those who, have, who are in Christ will be glorified. Creation's on tiptoe to see that. Creation was cursed through the sin of humanity, of course. But creation will be restored when God's children are glorified. All of creation is watching and waiting for that day. This is our hope. Henry Light put it this way in a few, few stanzas of verse. He said, my rest is in heaven. My rest is not here. Then why should I murmur when trials are near? Be hushed, my dark spirit. The worst that can come but shortens thy journey and hastens thee home. It's not for me to be seeking my bliss and building my hopes in a region like this. I look for a city which hands have not piled. I pant for a country by sin undefiled. Let doubt then endanger my progress oppose. They only make heaven more sweet at the close. Come joy or come sorrow, whate'er may befall, an hour with my God will make up for it all. That's hope. That's what we can hang on to. 
Next, you see how God's adopted children will be fully redeemed. Verses 23 to 25 says that. Listen to those verses again. Not only that, but we ourselves who have the Spirit as the first fruits, we also groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for adoption, the redemption of our bodies. One of my favorite movies is going to reveal some truth in the room now, okay? One of my favorite movies of all time is The Princess Bride. Amen. Yes, we have an amen. We have an amen. Now, in my house, actually, when is Carl and I are empty nesters? In my house, it's just me. I'm the only one that thinks that. She didn't like the movie that much, and I'm still questioning is something wrong here, you know? Um, a Princess Bride. Good movie if you like it, okay? But one of the most memorable lines in that movie is when the, when the princess is told, quote, Life is pain, Highness. Anyone who tells you differently, is selling something. It's true. Pain is real. Pain is here. Pain's with us until that day when glory will replace it. This is our hope. Now, our faith doesn't hide the fact that there's pain in the world. The Bible's filled with stories about people who suffered, people who are examples of suffering for us. I mean, we worship the Lord who was who the, the suffering servant. We groan because of our many sufferings we face in this life. Cancer, persecution, grief, abortion, war, violence, abuse, disease. And because we have the Holy Spirit, we live challenged by the suffering that's around us. As one writer said, we groan because we're not home yet. That's why we groan. Paul's teaching on our adoption as God's children is written in the context of suffering, pondering the already not yet message of adoption provides great hope to us in troubled times. Consider what J.I. Packer said about this in his, in his book, Knowing God. He said, if you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much he makes of the thought of being God's child. Having God as his father. If this is not the thought that prompts and controls his worship and prayers and his whole outlook in life, it means that he doesn't understand Christianity very well at all. For everything that Christ taught, everything that makes the New Testament new and better than the old, everything that's distinctly, distinctively Christian as opposed to merely Jewish is summed up in the knowledge of the fatherhood of God. Father is our name for God. So when we grasp the beauty of our adoption, we get a, whole, a wonderful grasp of the Christian life, what it really can look like. We're God's children. We're his adopted gotcha children with the price paid by the shed blood of Jesus. And when we consider the glory of our Father, we enjoy an unshakable hope and know that he has so much for us in the time to come. We hope for what we do not yet see. We wait for it, as the text tells us, with patience. Make sure you get that in verse 25. If we hope for what we don't see, if that's our hope, we eagerly wait for it with patience saying something like this, soon and very soon, we're going to see the king. Okay, 
So, there's a hope for us. There's future glory we look forward to. Second, second part of the text looks at the fact that there's help for weak saints. You see this in verses 26 to 30. There's hope for waiting saints, and there's help for weak saints. And very often, they are one and the same. We are waiting weak saints, watching for hope. Excuse me. The next five verses really are some of the most comforting words in Scripture. So let's look at them one at a time. First, we rest in the Spirit's intercession. See this in verses 26 and 27. Listen to what they say. In the same way, Paul says, the Spirit helps us in our weakness because we don't know what to pray for as we ought or as we should. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with inexpressible groanings. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Now these verses take a new level of surrender that we may not be, we may be challenged to practice, really. But if we're weak enough, if we're desperate enough, We'll trust the Spirit to help us in our desperation. Actually, I'm convinced that's the essence of the Christian life. We get to the place of desperation. We can't handle this. We can't do this. I can't take another day, etc. And that forces us to turn to the Lord who can help. Not a bad place to be. Could be the best place to be. So let's unpack what these verses mean. It's really rich. When we don't know what to pray, Paul says, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit will pray for us. Make sure you get this now, okay? If I don't know what to pray, and I'm struggling with knowing what to pray, the Holy Spirit will pray for me. Now let's get the whole Trinitarian view of prayer here then, okay? The Father, God the Father, is ready to listen to us as we come to Him as as His adopted children, right? Right, not with your heads. Yes, okay? God's ready to hear. Father's ready to hear. The Son, it says, Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father, ever interceding for us. Now, I'm not an electrician, but a friend, a pastor friend who is, said this is, this isn't so much, Jesus is praying for us, but what this means more than that is Jesus is, is like a light switch does. It completes the circuit. Jesus completes the circuit so that we can get through. Okay? So the Father's ready to hear. The Son is interceding for us so that we can pray. And when we don't know what to pray, the Holy Spirit will pray for us in our weakness. In perfect agreement with the Father's will. Now make sure you get that. Not only does He pray for us, verse 27 says, He who searches our hearts, the Father, knows the mind of the Spirit who's within us, because He intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. So the Holy Spirit will intercede for us according to the will of the Father. Sounds like a pretty good prayer partner, doesn't it? It's perfect. There's help for those of us who are weak from God the Holy Spirit. We don't know what to pray. Lord, help us. Now, our challenge is, too often, we will uh, hear hear these verses. And what we get caught on, I've done it for years, is that little phrase in verse 26. He intercedes for us with inexpressible groanings. Now, that's how the CSB puts it. with groanings, words can't express. Another translation puts it that way. And we get stuck on that. Well, what does that sound like? What what is that? Folks, that's the whole point. It's inexpressible, okay? The Holy Spirit does it for us. 
you know, God speaking with God. And if they're talking, if he's talking to himself, put it that way, I don't have to understand. I just need to trust and know that he's able to help me pray as I need to. So if we need to pray, we have the help we need to pray. Next we see in verse 28 that we can rest in God's sovereign plan. You know this verse. Hear it one more time. We know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, who are the called according to his purpose. One of the most treasured promises in Scripture. But do we really believe it? Do we really? If we love God and have answered his call to trust and obey him, he causes all things to work together for good. For good. For good. So can we name a circumstance where this doesn't apply in the Christian life? Mm, no, we can't. I mean, does this truth from God's word increase our hope? I would hope so. So hang on to that hope. If you're facing something you, can't, you just can't grasp and you don't know what the result's going to be, trust God to work through that to his glory and your good because he's able to. And then verses 29 and 30 talk about how we can rest in the golden chain of salvation. Now hang on with me here for a minute, okay? But think about what this means. Listen to verses 29 and 30, last two verses of our text. For those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. Now, what point is it that Paul's making in these verses that have been called in the past the golden chain of salvation? Here's his point, three words. God alone saves. That's it. Salvation from start to finish is the Lord's doing. We trust and thank him for his gift of saving grace. I mean, here we see in these verses, God's salvation plan from start to finish. God foreknows, he predestines, he calls, he justifies, and he glorifies. Now, I'm not inserting, please note, I'm not inserting any theological system into these verses, okay? I'm just reading you the text, okay? We're just reading it as God inspired it. I don't understand it. I don't think any of us do. God does, and that's enough. And I believe it with all my heart. God's saving actions form an unbreakable golden chain of salvation. Christians, we're in God's hands. He chose to love us and to declare us righteous in Christ. We belong to him along with many other brothers and sisters now and forever. As one writer said, believers form a forgiven family, groaning for glory, sustained by spirit-inspired prayer, with creation anxiously waiting for the unveiling of the glorious freedom of these children of God in the age to come. Yes and amen. We are people of hope. <clears throat> William Cooper, great poet, hymn writer, England years and years ago, although frail in body and mind, he had many struggles physically and mentally. In the midst of those struggles, he wrote these words. Listen to how he reminds us how the sovereign Lord works. William Cooper said, God moves in a mysterious way his wonders to perform. 
He plants his footsteps in the sea and rides upon the storm. Deep in unfathomable minds of never-failing skill, he treasures up his bright designs and works his sovereign will. Ye fearful saints, fresh courage take. The clouds you so much dread are big with mercy and shall break with blessings on your head. Judge not the Lord by feeble sense, but trust him for his grace. Behind a frowning providence he hides a, sh- a smiling face. His purposes will ripen fast, unfolding every hour. The bud may have a bitter taste, but sweet will be the flower. Blind, get these words, blind unbelief is sure to err and scan his work in vain. God is his own interpreter and he will make it plain. Yes, we as God's children are people of hope. We've grown in this fallen world, but we have a glorious future ahead of us and divine help for our present trials day by day until that day when we'll see the Lord face to face. A few chapters later, Paul gives this blessing in prayer in Romans 15, verse 13. Let's pray that as I pray over us here this moment, okay? Lord, we pray that you, God, the source of hope, will fill us completely with joy and peace because we trust in you. Then we will overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. Lord, thank you for your word today. Thank you for the reminders we've heard from Romans 8 of the hope that we know and the help that we have because you've loved us and given yourself for us. Lord, if there's anyone here today that doesn't know this saving grace of Jesus, help us to respond today to you. For those of us that may have forgotten, Lord, help us to come home, to trust you afresh, to know that you're with us, Lord, because you love us so. We praise you for your grace today, Lord, and thank you for the hope that we know. All in Jesus' precious name. And everyone said together, amen. Amen.